So again, this is like prophetic vision of this group of people that are experiencing the power of God and they are experiencing the love of God. And I mean, it may sound like a cliche, but at its best and the intention for the church are those keep God's commandments. And what are the two greatest commandments? To love God, to love your neighbor as yourself. And that doesn't deny the other details and stuff. But that's the, those are the pillars of this whole thing. You know, standing on the gospel, the good news of God's love and his grace for us, we respond with love for him, and we respond with love for each other. What is the church? Is it an organization or a building? Maybe it's none of the above. Honestly, it's hard to define the church these days because so many people understand it differently. I'm not sure what comes to mind for you, but for me, when I think about the church, I experience emotions both of joy and sadness. Joy in the sense that I believe the church is God's appointed agency on earth for the saving of souls, and sadness because I know how short it falls every day in reflecting the character of God required to lead people to Jesus in an effective and meaningful way. The truth is the church is not so much an entity as it is a people, a called out people who have given their hearts to God and have agreed to live their lives with one another in a way that reveals their love of God and their readiness for Jesus to come. This way that the church lives is as much a witness to the world as the gospel it preaches and teaches. However, it can be discouraging to those who hear the gospel and begin readying their lives in harmony with the Bible when they inevitably discover the words and actions of the church are not always in harmony with one another. What do we do when we see and experience pride and hypocrisy and judgment instead of humility, love, and acceptance. Do we give up on the church? Condemn it? I suppose we could, but maybe the inconsistencies we see are signs that God is wanting to raise up a church in the last days, a remnant church that rises above the failures of the past. Maybe our dissatisfaction with the status quo is a sign that God wants to use us to bring a change. And maybe it could be a sign that we are finally ready to embrace God's vision for the church over our own. In this episode, I explore God's vision for the Remnant Church with author, podcaster, and speaker Sean Brace, who is currently the pastor of Bangor Seventh-day Adventist Church in the great state of Maine. Sean and I go way back to our days in undergraduate school at Andrews University. Interestingly, we both share in common a love of music, football, and of course, the church, since we're both pastors. I think you'll enjoy this episode as we dive deep into the connection between the gospel and the church, the difference between gospel embodiment and drive-by evangelism, practical ways to witness before you begin talking about God, and a vision of hope for God's last day remnant church. I hope you enjoyed this episode as much as I did. So without further ado, let's get right into it. 
Sean, man, it is so great to have you on the podcast today. How you doing? Doing well. Thank you, Travis. It's been a long time since you and I have sat at a table together. So, Sean, tell me, um, tell me what you've been up to recently. I know um, you've been um, pastoring in uh, New England for a little while. So, uh, where where are you at exactly? Yeah, so I am a pastor in Bangor, Maine, which many people don't know where Maine is. Believe it or not, Travis, it is the northeasternmost state in Maine in in the United States. Uh, but I've been there in Bangor for about almost nine years. And I've spent most of my pastoral ministry in Maine, and uh, I was in New Hampshire before that. But I'm a New Englander by by birth and by my uh, formative years, and so I haven't wandered too far from home. I was raised in the Boston area, but yeah, I've been in Bangor for almost nine years. Yeah, and, and Sean and I were um, at Andrews together, mm-hmm. and uh, we um, used to write for the same newspaper the student movement back in the day and uh editorials and uh you know that that was fun we used to also uh play flag football um and uh, many years ago <laughs> we're getting old and gray now aren't we I oh, see gray in your beard oh man like, don't don't there. remind me <laughs> <laughs> so uh it's it's been it's been great i've uh I've definitely been following you from a distance. Uh, you're you're pretty prolific in your writing, and uh, I know that you've written a couple books. Can can you share a little bit about uh, those books with with our yeah. listeners? So I've technically, well, I guess whatever technical means, four books. One of them is just recent; it was just kind of like a little booklet. But three books before that, um, one was called "Waiting at the Altar." That was the first one. Back in about 2008-ish, um, no, I don't know. I don't know. Don't ask me about dates, but 2007-ish, 2008, and then another one was called Pursued by Relentless God, and that one was focused more on gospel, uh, salvational issues, and then the last one was called um, There's More to Jesus, and that was, I don't know, 2012-ish, 13, and that one was looking at... Um, scriptural teachings through the lens of Jesus. And so all of them basically on the gospel salvation by grace theme. Um, so that's what my passion has been from a biblical perspective. Yeah. And uh, you used to blog quite a bit and then uh, you, you transitioned um, to podcasting mm-hmm. uh, a few years ago. Yeah. And uh, the podcast was kind of a, a audio journal of your journey trying to um uh work with your local church in bangor is that mm-hmm. is that a good that's a really good way that's a really good way of, of describing it yeah the the podcast is called mission lab and so it's just we haven't been as um faithful in pumping out new episodes in the last few months but my wife and i started it i twisted her arm enough to to start it with me to just kind of detail our journey of trying to transition our local congregation that that I pastor from being one that is kind of just inward focused to being one that is participating in the mission of Jesus in the world. And it's been both the podcast and the journey itself have been really fascinating and, and, and fun. Definitely. And 
and I think that's that's a passion of yours at this moment is just the church in general and and you know it's pretty clear as we as we look around um, the the state of the church in North America specifically um, a lot of people are are saying that we're living in a in a um, post church post truth um, post Christian time period. Um, where we see uh, overall kind of a, a general decline in um, in church participation and mm-hmm. in, in the relevancy of church in North America, and uh, and so a lot of uh, young people, particularly, are, are kind of checking out or they've become disillusioned with organized religion, um, and so. Uh, what what is what is it about uh, the renewal of the church that that kind of um, you know given this kind of uh, negative outlook that we see around us? How do you what 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 um, drives your passion yeah. towards this? That's a that's a really good question, and it's it's obviously something I'm really excited about because I think we find ourselves and. I, could, I should preface this by saying that I live in the most secular part of, of the United States as well. Um, the state of Maine, right, or, right after Vermont and New Hampshire, are the, the most secular states in the United States. And so people aren't showing up, and um, there's, a lot of, there's a lot of skepticism about organized religion, organized church. And so for me, that's actually a very exciting thing. Because I think we have the opportunity now to participate in um, a revisioning and maybe I would call it a recapturing of, I think, the most beautiful organization on earth, which is the church. Now, some people might hear that and say, oh, that's not been my experience. And so I affirm that, and yet at the same time, I have hope because I think we're in a context now where we are being forced to go back to and re-examine what it really means to be the church. And how do we participate in this, this thing that God is trying to do in the world that he's not going to do apart from us, but through us? And it's, it's kind of forcing us to, to try things that we maybe haven't tried in a long time. And I, and I see it as a prophetic kind of movement, a prophetic kind of thing. And I've been talking about this quite a bit lately um, in my own local congregation where even though, like I said, like seemingly organized Christianity um, is, is struggling, like I do still sense that there's this movement that is taking place where people are, are trying to get back to authentic Christianity, authentic church. And um, one, of the, one of the ideas that has captivated my imagination recently is these uh, prophetic statements that come from various parts of Scripture, like, for example, in the book of Revelation, uh, chapter 18, verse 1, uh, John, the author of the book, he, he says that he sees this angel coming down from heaven, and it says, and the earth was illuminated with its glory. And so this this is a this is a prophecy about the end of days where there will be this apparently this movement that does take place where and and, and glory in scripture is 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 character. God's character is is illuminating the whole earth and 
like I look, I look at the world around me. I look at the church and I say, well, that doesn't look like that's happening right now. And how could this possibly be? And yet I also see, again, people who are hungry for an authentic expression of faith. And so I think that God is slowly but surely getting this thing going where people are going back to Scripture and saying, okay, what does it really look like to be God's people? What does it look like to be on his mission? And uh, what are the characteristics of that? So so if maybe we might have a listener um, who, you know, when they think about the church, mm-hmm. they just think about this kind of um, corporate structure, this man-made um, structure organization that... Um, it doesn't really reflect what they read in the Bible. Mm-hmm. And there's a, a tendency to kind of say, you know, the church is, um, is not something that is necessary in terms of my spirituality. So, so for somebody who, you know, doesn't really understand or maybe not understand isn't the right word, but, but doesn't see the vision of, of the church um, like you do, how would you explain biblically what the church mm-hmm. is for mm-hmm. somebody who, you know, just sees it as a as an organization? Yeah. Is can you elaborate on that a little bit? Oh, that's a great question. Um, I think when most people think of the church um, or church, first of all, maybe in a local context, they're thinking of some building they go to, and they go to a program in that building, and they have somebody preach some dogmatic message at them that, you know, they're trying to convince them of. And I'm not saying that that isn't a part of it, but at a more fundamental level, the church is a movement of people who have been transformed by the good news of God's love and are simply trying to join up with other people, however that might look. That might mean that I'm going into this building with these pews once a week and we're you know, encouraging one another and we're singing songs. Or it might mean us sitting around a living room, reading scripture together, encouraging one another, and seeking the Holy Spirit to empower us to go out and make a tangible difference in our communities around us. And I found that when I've described that latter part, especially that latter idea, it is really resonant with so many people. I, I'm not, this sounds maybe a little, you know, arrogant or whatever, but I find that when I kind of set this vision to a lot of young people, they're like, man, I wish I was living where you are. I, I like, I feel like I would have like a, a two million member church if like all the people that have resonated with that idea all lived in my area. But it's like, it's more organic and it's more of like, and this is how the church started. It was a movement. It was not an institution. And somewhere along the line, it slowly kind of became an institution that was more static and they had, you know, vested interests to maintain and, and it was less risky. Like it was so risk averse. And like, like I've said to people, if, if the early church was as risk averse as the church is now, we never would have even had the church because they were putting it all on the line. They were taking chances. They were empowered by the spirit of God and they were going out and doing things that were risky and, and very daring. Um, and so 
I think I think there's a it's a, a balance there, of course, that like we like the structures have their place and um, it helps, you know, keep us organized and try to be on task at best. But a lot of times what happens is the maintenance of the institution becomes the mission itself rather than other way around. Yeah, and and I hear the same thing as a, a local pastor as well, and uh, and and based on what what I read and what I hear, um, there is a frustration mm-hmm. um, that that exists because um, either a some people don't even know that what you just described um, is not the biblical model mm-hmm. um, that 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 there's um, an organic. Um, kind of uh, uh, um, communal mm-hmm. um, co- connection with one another that isn't creepy because there's this other kind of <laughs> you know idea so that you know you go off in a in, in a commune somewhere and uh, wall yourself off from the world yeah. and 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 that's you know whoa that's when you take things too far so so there's a combination between not being so formal. Um, uh, and at the same time, not being like way out so crazy that that you're not even relevant to the world. Mm-hmm. And what you're saying is, what I hear you saying is that the true vision for the church, the way you see it biblically, is that the church is is out in the community reflecting the experience that they have had with Christ mm-hmm. to those around them. Mm-hmm. And uh, and that's kind of been a journey that you've been on, um, with, with your local church and, and, you know, ultimately you, you see, as you've been studying revelation and, and other books of the Bible, what is this grand vision of the church that you see that, that God is trying to help, uh, us toward move us toward, you know, for somebody who's, who's saying, you know what, I don't know. I mean, the church, I'm, I'm not sure that the church is for me. Like, Help us to, mm-hmm. let's explore that a little bit. Yeah. yeah. Well, so kind of like that revelation theme, um, it very much takes off, it, it takes its cues from like Old Testament uh, passages where like, for example, in Isaiah 60, um, uh, Isaiah, you know, has this prophecy where he says, arise, shine for your light has come and the glory of the Lord rises upon you. See, darkness covers the earth, and thick darkness is over the peoples, but the Lord rises upon you, and his glory appears over you. Nations will come to your light, and kings to the brightness of your dawn. So again, this is like prophetic vision of this group of people that are experiencing the power of God, and they are experiencing the love of God. And I mean, it may sound like a cliche, but at its best and the intention for the church are those who keep God's commandments. And what are the two greatest commandments? To love God and to love your neighbor as yourself. And that doesn't deny the other details and stuff, but that's the, those are the pillars of this whole thing, you know, standing on the gospel, the good news of God's love and his grace for us, we respond with love for him and we respond with love for each other. And that is, by the way, going to look messy. It's going to mm. be pretty messy. Um, right. Because we're bringing our imperfect selves to the community 
and we are vulnerably sharing of ourselves so that we can encourage others and we ourselves can grow and heal from our brokenness and our pain. And so it's going to be a group of imperfect people that are gathering together in the power of the Spirit who are then together simply living out of their brokenness and gathering others in to experience that healing as well. I had a, um, a gentleman who's a Jewish fellow that I, I meet with um, every week, and we just talk and hang out, and we talk about different philosophical and religious ideas. I'm not there to convert him. He's not there to convert me, and we're just, we like to exchange ideas. And he was on our church website, and he said, I liked everything on that website that you had, but there was just one thing that made me a little uncomfortable. And he said, uh, what's this idea about trying to make disciples? And he said, in, in Judaism, you don't try to convert people. That's just, we're, we're like, it's not one of our things, and we get uncomfortable with that sort of thing. He says, I kind of get the feeling that your church is trying to convert people. And I said, well, let me explain it this way. What we're trying to do is we're trying to experience love and be transformed by love, and we're trying to expand the circle of that love. And the only way for more and more people to feel loved and to experience love is if we love people to such a degree that they then love other people. So we're just trying to make that circle bigger and we're trying to expand it so that if it's just me that's going out and trying to bring love to everybody, it's not going to happen. But if I'm joining up with you and I'm loving you and you're responding to that love and you're feeling loved and then you want to go and share that love with other people, then the circle gets bigger and the whole world can experience that. And that he liked that. It resonated with him. And uh, of course, there's all sorts of details. Like I would submit to you that what it means to love people well is to share with them truths of scripture as well. But that is that is in the context of that love. And that's what it means to be at the core God's people is loving well so that others can learn to love as well. And and based on what I hear you saying, then the gospel becomes the most important aspect of the church because if the church, like you're saying, and I agree with you 100%, is called primarily to love God um, and love its neighbor as itself, um, or as we personalize it, that I am to love God and love my neighbor as myself, that is something love at least in the sense that the biblical sense of love which is an other centered love mm-hmm. is not natural to our our human That's nature right. so so yeah. we have this this yeah. human nature that is always kind of resisting that type of love and when the church essentially is trying to to run itself without the gospel then we see a lot of the legitimate, I would say, criticisms um, uh, becoming valid, right? Because we, we, because of that lack of love. So, so, and I, and I, you mentioned at the beginning of the of the podcast today that you've written pretty extensively on the gospel. So, how has your journey through the gospel? Would you say that that is the 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 power or the 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 strong conviction for the church 
that you have now is rooted in that that journey through the gospel? Yeah, absolutely. I may not have understood it initially. That I, I think I understood the 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 gospel on a theoretical level, but I never really appreciated the practical implications of it as it related to what it means to be God's people. And you know, it's funny you mentioned that it needs to be uh, the, the gospel needs to be the motive and the power because you know, going back to this friend of mine. And this just happens to be coming to mind, and it's not like he's my only friend in the world. But um, we talk about how in Judaism, you know, Judaism has this idea of tikkun olam, which is like doing God's, bringing God's justice to the world. And he says, we believe that God is trying to, like God created an incomplete world, and we're supposed to participate in the perfecting of the world. And I said, you know, I, I agree. Like that's what we're called to do is like to help be the agents of, of, of peace and love in the world. I said where I would be, have a little difference with you is that I believe that we needed this Messiah to come and like be a part of that. And what he heard was, oh, you don't think you have to do it. You need God to do it for you. And I said, no, no, no. What I mean by that is that we don't naturally want to participate, but we need this revelation of God's character to penetrate us and change us so that we can be empowered to do that. We can't do it on our own. And so, you know, I've found that a lot of Jews, especially because I spent a lot of time with Jewish people, but they have this perception of Christians where this message that they get from Christianity is God loves me and I'm off the hook. I don't have to do anything. And I'm having to correct that. And I, I think there's some Christians that I interact with that do have that attitude. And then there's the other extreme where it's like, oh, we got to do it all on our own. And I would say, no, it's as the motivating power of God's love dwells in our hearts. Only then can we be motivated to live out the love of Jesus in the world. And so that's, that's what it's done for me as I, as I, as I think about the sacrifice of Jesus, as I think about his love and forgiveness, and I think about his power that helps me become a more loving person, then it frees me from guilt and shame and inadequacy. And it allows me to be a broken person and not have to be perfect because, um, anytime I'm trying to be perfect, it, diminishes my ability to relate to other people. And so when I am so grounded in God's love that I know that I don't have to be perfect to, to be accepted by him, it allows me to be more forgiving and accepting for other people. Yeah. And when, as you were talking, it, it kind of reminded me of a text, which um, this section of second Corinthians chapter five in particular, um, you know, is, is always been, one of my favorite texts of the Bible to to meditate on mm. um, because I think it it really you see the the um, coming together of the gospel and the commission that God has given to the church like the purpose for the church and the purpose for the gospel I see them kind of integrating here uh, in in a in a very compelling way in fact, if uh, it says right there in verse fourteen mm. mm-hmm. of uh, of Second Corinthians chapter five, you know it says, you know for the for the love of Christ compels us, yeah, um, because we are convinced that one died for all, and therefore all died, 
and he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. And, and it's interesting because you see that the first part of that text is about what God has done for us. And then the second part is what we do in response. And so what I like to try to explain to people about the church is, you know, the church is just the, the place or the, the stage or the um, entity in which we respond to the gospel. It, mm-hmm. It's like a, a, a place that we interconnect with other people, like you were saying, mm-hmm. who have been touched by the gospel. And together, you know, we, we, we make this compelling plea to mm-hmm. the world. In fact, if you go down um, toward the end of that chapter, uh, chapter five, where, where he says, um, we are therefore ambassadors for Christ, as though God were making his appeal through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. Yeah. So it's it it it's all rooted in that um, that experience, and then and it overflows into hey, you know it, it it you're just compelled to to share that, and so more than just sharing that though, like I I know this is what I wanted to ask you, so it's not just about. Uh, sharing doctrine, though, right? Like, so mm. when when you're when you're out there, when you see the church, you know, a lot of people, like you were saying, maybe your Jewish friend or others of other religious backgrounds might think, "Oh, you're just trying to spread mm-hmm. your doctrine." What? Mm-hmm. How is it more than that, in your opinion, when it comes to making that, you know, the love of Christ is compelling us? What? Mm-hmm. How do you see that um, mm-hmm. in in your view? Yeah. Well, so someone has used a phrase that I really love, and it's it's just a simple phrase, but it's, the phrase is disinterested love, and that is a very challenging phrase to my human nature because so many times my love has some sort of vested interest and intended and desired result that I'm looking for, and that challenges me, however, to simply to simply reach out and bless people for their sake, not for my sake. And so what does that look like? It looks like me being so grounded in God's love that I'm, I can just listen to people and I don't have to have an agenda Mm. and say, okay, well, let me tell you about this. Uh, There used to be a time where I thought, you know, I'm going to listen to people so I can earn the right to witness to them. And then it's then all of a sudden I stopped in my tracks and I said, you know what? Actually, the listening is the witnessing, mm. because in a world where people are so bombarded with ulterior motives and you know stress and with a world where people don't care about each other, like the simple ministry of listening is incredible blessing to people. It gives it, it makes them feel loved, it makes them feel heard, it makes that it legitimizes their experience and and it tells them, you know, you can be who you are without judgment. And that's the way God relates to us. Mm. Like if God brought judgment against us when we were telling him all of our weakness and sin, like we would be dead right now. So I, if I'm if I if I can be secure in in God's love for me, I can sit there and listen to you, and you can you can share any ideas you have, whether it's 
whether you're Jewish or atheist or, you know, whatever stripe of Christian. And if I know that my security is not based upon have, it's not based upon right doctrine, Mm -hmm. like doctrines are really important and awesome. And they help us understand God's character more. But at the end of the day, I'm not loved by God because I believe the right things. I'm loved by God because he's love Mm -hmm. and I'm responding to that love. So that allows me to simply enter enter into life with people and to move in closer and not be so preoccupied. And this is a struggle for me. I, I, I speak better than I live, mm-hmm. but not at least intend to be so preoccupied with some type of agenda where I'm trying to make them a part of my church or I'm trying to convert them or whatever the case may be. Um, again, just like being God's presence in their life. Mm. And so, you know, I would think for, for most people, if, if they could imagine a place where they were loved and listened to, like you just described, mm-hmm. that would not be a turnoff. That would not be a thing like, oh, you know, I, I, why would I, you know, I wouldn't, would never want to be around those people. So, so clearly um, the way that the church has um, communicated um, its agenda or its purpose to the world um, has been misunderstood and misapplied. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and so when I look at, you know, the simple, another one of my favorites is, uh, is in John chapter 13. And, mm-hmm. uh, and you find there at the end of the, uh, of the story where Jesus has, uh, you know, washed his disciples mm-hmm. feet mm-hmm. and kind of explained to them, you know, the, I want you to go and do this as well, you know, don't just just enjoy this, but but I want you to go do this. And then he he kind of um, uh, puts the capstone on it in verse uh, thirty four, uh, thirty three, mm-hmm. and uh, and he says here, uh, you know, in verse thirty four, a new command I give you that you love one another, as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Mm-hmm. So I'm curious, you know, because you, you, you kind of started off talking about Revelation 18. Mm-hmm. And and we just read here that all will know. And you mentioned that that light mm-hmm. goes to the whole world, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So um, how, how do you, what's your, what do you see the church becoming? Um, because, you know, as, on, as you know, this podcast, we're, we're interested in in and being ready for Jesus. You know, we we believe that that Jesus is coming soon, and so what what should we be looking for? What what should the church be becoming um, based on some of these texts that that Jesus mentioned in, in Revelation, like you mm-hmm. talked about? How do you how do you see that? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think maybe, and this is maybe going to sound like a cop out, but it just what I need to look for is number one in my own life the gospel. How can mm-hmm. I go deeper in the gospel? And then what will that change in me? And who has God placed in front of me to embody that gospel too? Being less concerned with the big signs. I mean, I think there's a place for that as well. But um, like, what has God called me to do right now, right here? Who has he called me to enter into life with? And it's not going to happen, you know, Jesus 
the, the gospel going to the world. I matter of fact, I just said this the other day. If I could get on TV right now and I could preach the gospel, uplink it all around the world, and literally all 7 billion people hear what I've said, they still would not have encountered the gospel fully. Mm. Wow. Because, That's a pretty profound statement there. So, yeah, I mean, it's a bold claim. But I, but, I, 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 I hear, I, I understand where you're going. So yeah, yeah. like explain that a little so, bit more. So it says, by all, by this shall all know that you are my disciples. If you have love for one another, love is primarily an action. Mm. It's it's a, it's a it's a it's a verb. It's a it's something I do. It's not merely something I say. Wow. And so what I'm proposing, and I've said this a few times in in other venues, is that a person has not fully encountered the gospel until they have encountered it in embodied form. So what that takes is one person touching another person, that person touching another person. It has to be a movement that spreads throughout the world, life on life, skin to skin. Um, Another quote that uh, comes to mind is an author I read. Uh, She said, humanity must touch humanity. Mm. So it has to it has to be skin to skin, and only then can the gospel fully be encountered uh, as it's embodied. And like I like to tell people, like um, we have to recognize that everything we do has the capacity to communicate the gospel. And so again, it's not just this thing I'm going to preach, and we're going to get this big speaker, and we're going to put them up on a TV, and we're going to you know do that. that has its place. Don't misunderstand me. That that can that can kind of put in words what they're experiencing in life, but it needs to be both. It can't be one or the other. I like that. So in other words, the gospel doesn't have meaning or there's no context to mm-hmm. understand it unless there's been a skin to skin or yeah. some sort of uh experience that that person can look at and say oh so that's why or that's yes. and, and then and then so the gospel is just explaining what somebody should be experiencing yeah um and if we're only doing the explaining and there's not an experiential mm-hmm. um connection then we can say it, and it, we're still not preaching it in, in, exactly. in, in the not in the fully fullest, preaching in the fullest it. sense. Yeah. yeah, yeah, I totally like that. Yeah. Um, and and part of it is that um, that uh, people, like I was saying, people um, until they've encountered it, it will only be up here in the head. Mm. And I've heard lots of people say, "Well, the gospel needs to get down to my heart, and what's it going to take?" And for me. What it takes is encountering it in somebody else. Mm-hmm. So if you're coming along and saying, "I oh, know God loves you, Sean," but then you're like not spending any time with me, you know, you don't, you're not very kind towards me. You're kind of impatient. You're, um, you know, you're not forgiving. You have little interest in my life. I'm like, what's the deal here? You didn't really. Did you really give me the gospel? No, you gave me. And of course, I would say that you may be even undermine the gospel by saying it but not living it so that i mean that that takes a lot more that takes a lot more commitment right and and that's why god is calling all of us not just one good preacher or one great writer or whatever like it's going to take all of us by his grace because we're all imperfect 
And that's the thing, like we bring our imperfect selves to this, but as we allow God to live in us, and even when we do mess up, we try to make amends and we try to, you know, repent and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. um, that's what it's going to take. Right. And so, so the, the idea is important and it's a, it, you know, I think the Bible uses the term of, of a seed, right? It's, mm -hmm. it's like a, so, so the, the message there, there are seeds that the Holy Spirit can use um, to, to help grow uh, that love or that understanding of the gospel in someone's heart, but that seed needs to be cultivated, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. And, and, uh, and so not, you know, just as the seed has no control over the ground that it's tossed in, you know, you know, as, 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 uh, as Christians who are trying to share that, you know, part of the reason that, you know, he, he wants us to, that God wants us to, to do more than just share the words. If, if I hear what you're saying, is that it's it's the the skin to skin is what cultivates mm -hmm. that seed and and so it can it can grow and the combination of the word which we have no control over it's something that obviously is is God alone but our part is um, even the Bible I think uses the term of of uh, you know har you know planting uh, watering mm -hmm. and and harvesting Reaping, right. Yeah. Uh, as a as a way of understanding spiritual growth, so um, yeah, that that is that is very profound. And and the thing that I think maybe that why Christians resist that view mm -hmm. is, and I think you mentioned it is it kind of adds a level of uh, responsibility, doesn't it? <laughs> it it that I mean, this is if you look at the Gospels, Jesus didn't he actually didn't make it terribly easy to be a follower of him. Mm. He's like, you can follow me, but guess what? This is going to take all of life. This is not just like a weekend thing we're going to do. This is not just you show up for an hour and a half and you listen to some guy talk and, you know, then you go home and you do the rest of life. He's like, this is going to, there's a cross to, to bear and you're going to count the cost. And, you know, that's, that's, we don't talk a lot about that and we want to like, we want to really lower the bar because we just want as many people as we can. And yeah, we want as many people as we can to, to, to be saved and to know Jesus. But at the same time, we, it's a high commitment, like, and, and it's so much easier to outsource the gospel to other people. And we can put our money in the offering plate and we say, Oh good. You know, that person can go preach the message and I can just show up and, maybe for 15 minutes, you know, greet somebody at the door and then like I can turn off evangelism mm. and like you can't, that's not, that's not God's program. And I know it sounds really intimidating and it does for me too. And it's probably easy for me to say, cause I'm a pastor. Right. But, um, but I do know that there's also a lot of people who are hungry for that as well. Like that the gospel could actually totally totally transform every corner of my life, every minute of my day. And it's not like, okay, now I'm going to try real hard to do this. It's like, okay, surrender. That's what it is. Just surrendering over to the power of God. In essence, this is, um, it's putting the responsibility of the gospel with the church, you know? Mm -hmm. And, and so you're, you've been on this journey. Um, and so maybe somebody who's listening they're thinking, wow, you mean, you know, I actually have to, 
or maybe not have to is not <laughs> the right word, but but they're feeling a little bit overwhelmed by the idea of, of um, you know, giving this track mm. or saying this little prayer, or even if I was talented enough to preach a sermon mm. and, and that may not be enough still, how, how have, how have your people or maybe what, what are some of the common, you know, um, what would be the right word? Common, um, uh, objections to yeah. what you're proposing here which i think is biblical but but what what do you hear when when you when someone who hasn't had this understanding of the gospel and the church mm-hmm. how do they well, respond to that it's actually kind of a it's kind of a um a little bit of a paradox because on the one hand it sounds really overwhelming mm-hmm. on the other hand it actually brings a lot of relief to people really because here's why what we are, what, what I'm proposing scripture is teaching is that in Matthew 28, it says in a passage of scripture that we all know, not all of us, but a lot of us know, go therefore and make disciples. The, 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 the verb tense there is actually, as you go, make disciples. And so what we have come to realize is that when we're on this journey, it, a lot of us are actually already doing some of what we're being invited to do, and we just don't realize that it actually is a part of the plan. What I mean by that is what we're called to do is not necessarily to go out of our way to do something different. And like somebody who doesn't want to go knocking on a door, and that's what they think witnessing is, is, oh, boy, that means I got to go around and go door to door and knock and ask random strangers for like, they have anything they want me to pray about or whatever. No, you are already in the places where God wants you to be, to be his presence in that place. And there's a good chance that you're already doing some of those things that he wants you to do. As an example, like my sister-in-law, when we started having these conversations, she's uh, at our church. She's like, oh, so like me going and baking bread for my neighbor, which I already do, like that's that that like qualifies for like this thing. And I'm like, yeah, of course, like that is being the presence of Jesus in your neighborhood. And it doesn't require some awkward conversation. It's like, you know what? I just felt impressed. Like here's some bread for you and we love you. And maybe at some point that turns into a conversation about the gospel. Maybe it doesn't, Mm -hmm. but at least at the very least you are, communicating the gospel through deed in that experience. It might look like having your neighbors over for lunch. It might look like going out to eat with your coworker during the lunch hour and just listening to them and not thinking to yourself, okay, how can I figure out how to bring up Jesus here? It's like, let's just see where the spirit is already working in their life. And Mm -hmm. then we can walk through those doors when those doors open And like I like to say to people, I'm not trying to figure out a way to invite people to church. I'm Mm -hmm. not trying to figure out ways to invite them into a Bible study. I'm trying to figure out a way to invite them into my life more. And if I'm connected to Jesus, then Jesus will, like, almost through osmosis, like, if they're going to hang out with me, they're going to start picking up Jesus. And maybe... It's almost like without even recognizing it, because if they like hanging out with me, they like hanging out with Jesus, actually, because if Jesus is living in me, then he's going to rub off on them. And so 
that is embodying the gospel, um, mm-hmm. which is essentially, you know, going back to Second uh, Corinthians um, chapter five. I kind of mm-hmm. skipped over it bec- on purpose uh, because I do feel like it's the kind of, um, you know, I don't know. It's probably my favorite text, um, mm-hmm. at least in Paul's writings. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, mm-hmm. he is a new creation. Yeah. The old has gone, the new has come. Mm-hmm. So, so that literally is the the result of the gospel blooming, so to speak, mm-hmm. in someone's life. There's a new life. There's a a new creation, and and embodying that is is spreading the gospel. Embodying mm-hmm. that is the essence of um of what what Jesus asks the church to do and what the church should be. And if we were that way there would be less of a resistance mm-hmm. to at least um, the motives of the church. Mm-hmm. Um, and so c- coming back, though, as we kind of um, circle the plane back around, is, okay, so now that, where does where does truth come back into play in that? Mm-hmm. So let's say yeah. I'm a, um, you know, I've been, I've been embodying truth. Mm-hmm. When does the, because the proclamation of truth, you would agree, is mm-hmm. still an important part of that right yeah. so yeah so how, how do you bring that back into it now that we've been embodying it um yeah. we're, we're, what about the the actual mm-hmm. proclaiming it yeah so there there's a couple different ways i would answer that number one um one of uh, a pastor that i have been heavily uh blessed by he says we should live life in such a way that it would demand a jesus explanation so I am so to be so radically sold out to loving people and caring for people that in response, they will say, well, why are you doing this? And that's my opportunity to give a reason for the hope that's within me. And I can say, well, I've been blessed. I've been given this radical other centered love and I've felt called to do that in, you know, giving it to you as well. Um, And he also says that when we fail to do that, we actually rob God of his glory. So, and I've been in those moments where people said, oh man, you're just so nice. And I'll be like, I'll laugh it off. And, oh, you know, whatever, just having a good day. And what I'm actually doing there is I'm, I'm undermining what God's trying to do in their heart and in their life. And I'm not giving words to the reality of my, my, my transformed life. Um, I, but it's going to be, I mean, there's no like, there's no formula. And it's not always going to be people like saying, um, boy, you're so nice. Why are you that way? As a matter of fact, a lot of time it's not going to be that way. Um, but what, so, so they may not explicitly say it, but we can listen for the spirits working in their life already. And we're not trying to necessarily force it into the conversation, but we can connect it to the things that they're already thinking or talking about. Um, like as, as another example, and I, I'm sure you've kind of talked about this on your podcast. Like I have this awesome, my love is an awesome, but the Sabbath, mm-hmm. like the seventh day Sabbath yeah. is something that's just a huge blessing. And I have people in my life that have just, you know, we'll go for runs and like we run together and they'll say, Oh man, you know, there was a time in my life when I did a Sabbath. And it was like a really awesome part of my life. And I'd like to kind of get back to that again. And so I'll like, 
you know, at different times, I'll just, we'll, we'll be running along and be like, Hey, you know, have you had any more thought thoughts on keeping Sabbath? And like, I'll, I'll, I'll bring it up and, you know, I'll, I'll just put that out there and, you know, he'll s- respond to that one way or the other. And then I'm not like, like, okay, let's stop and have like a Bible study right now. I'm just like, okay, you know, that's interesting. And maybe sometime we could talk about it if you want any further, you know, uh, information on it or whatever. But I'm leaving that in his court. I'm not going to like try to twist his arm or like try to leverage, you know, the, the conversation or relationship to do that. It's just like, I am, I'm, I have to live out of my wholeness and my joy and my, um, the transformation I've experienced and not do it in a way that appears to be, um, purely propositional. So what I mean by that is, um, I have to, it has to be more of a testimony right? than an argument. Right. It's, it's a, and this is how it's changed me. And maybe this is a value to you. Maybe it isn't, but this is just what's been helpful for me. And then I leave it with them and the spirit has to do the rest and I can't twist arms. I can't manipulate. And quite frankly, I don't want somebody who's been tricked into or, or controlled into or manipulated into truth anyway. Like that's not going to get us anywhere. Right. And, and for somebody who, um, you know, is, you know, hearing or, or maybe a a better way of saying it is somebody who's experiencing, um, something unusual from, let's say from you or from me. And they're, 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 they're wondering like, why are you this way? Mm -hmm. What you're also saying though, is, if an explanation is um, needed, it, it it should be um, it should be spoken, right? Mm-hmm. Like because, yeah. so that because they need the oh, context, yeah. or else yeah, it, yeah. they won't be able to understand the why. Mm-hmm. And then the why ultimately, what we would want as Christians is is the glory to go back to God, right? Absolutely. Instead of yeah. instead of coming to you or I. You know, it's like, well, it's not really me. It's what God has done in me. And, and then you you could use that as a springboard into sharing your testimony mm-hmm. or something yeah. related to that in that given yeah. circumstance. Is that kind of what yeah, you're saying? Yeah, absolutely. And in this day and age of, um, you know, pluralism and postmodernism, people are open to stories and like I statements where we get into trouble is when we start prescribing things for other people. And I've, I've actually, even though I live in a very secular, non-religious context, I, I literally have never met any sort of opposition to Christianity in any circles I've been in. You know, some people in North America or Europe or whatever, there's this kind of inferiority complex where they think, oh, Christians are hated by everybody. And it's like, I live in the cradle of, of secularism in America. And if you're just a nice, loving, kind person, again, I'm not saying I'm this great person. I'm just, I try to, by God's grace, live in such, such a way. People are not going to give you a hard time. And maybe they're saying stuff behind my back and I don't know it, but I've never had anyone show any sort of resistance. So long as I'm willing to listen to them Mm -hmm. and I'm, presenting truth as something that has changed me rather than like 
here's these propositional ideas and you need to kind of like get on board with them. Now, I know obviously a lot of people don't consciously or explicitly put it that way, but our attitude often comes across that way. It's like, I have the truth, you don't, so let's get together so I can convince you of the truth that I that I have that you don't. Right. And and so in in a in a in a context of openness and and exploring, you know, there there may be a place for for talking, you know, in a collegial way mm-hmm. um about some of those propositions that mm-hmm. that yeah. but you know it would be done in a context of you know hey you know would you like to explore this more mm-hmm. further mm-hmm. and and not necessarily as a as a uh, acute kind of targeted mm-hmm. um i don't want to say attack but but a targeted uh, effort to you know, I'm going to, I'm going to witness and I'm going to, mm-hmm. you know, drill this in here. Uh, that, that probably wouldn't work. Yeah. What I like to call drive by evangelism. <laughs> I literally had a guy when I was in church, this is a funny story. I know we've gone on long here, but, uh, when I was pastoring in New Hampshire, um, I was just outside on the street in like after the service was over and we were spilling out over onto the street cause our building was right, like basically on the street. And this guy came up in his Bronco and he drove past. He goes, hey, can you hold this for me? He hands me this little pamphlet. And he speeds off. He's like, I'll be right back. He speeds off. And I look down. And I won't say the name of the publication, but it was a piece of literature from some well-known, you know, non-Christian, some would call them, uh, religious faith. And I was like, man, I'm the victim of drive-by evangelism. He literally never came back. And it was like do you think I'm going to open this thing up and be like, Oh, this is interesting. Like something I've been looking for my whole life. It was just, it was just a really unfortunate way of thinking that one could spread truth, you know? Yeah. So kind of like, so to kind of wrap up the, the, the conversation, you know, I really appreciate uh, you taking the time um, to share your thoughts um, with, uh, with Aventology listeners today, but um, you know, you know, again, coming back to this this concept of of church and and you know, sometimes you hear this this term "remnant" being thrown out. Mm-hmm. Um, the Bible even uses it, or sometimes it's translated "the rest of." Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, in other words, speaking of the church of the last days, um, you know, what is your what is the thing that you're most hopeful about? You know, when you think about um, what what the church is becoming, um, what drives your hope that that vision that you see in the Bible could be fulfilled in our yeah. lifetime? You know, what, where, where does that hope come from? Because, you know, when you look at just human nature, mm-hmm. there's so much ugliness out there, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, you just, you just have to open your phone and just read the headlines and, and it just seems like, man, there's not a lot of hope for humanity. Mm-hmm. Um, and yet the church specifically in the Bible has this beautiful picture of, of this group of people who are so mm-hmm. transformed mm-hmm. that they light the world. So um, mm-hmm. just kind of in conclusion, where, yeah. what, where's this hope? Where does this hope come from for you? Well, first of all, the hope comes from the gospel. Right. But I would say, and that's not to be, 
passed over quickly, but and from another angle, and this may sound surprising, this hope is born out of a sense of deep dissatisfaction that I, I, I feel from a lot of people. Mm. And we can never get to where we think God is calling us to be if we are satisfied with our present condition. And this is this goes back to another part of Revelation where the church of Laodicea mm. is is described as what I believe is kind of the describing the last day church as well. So there's actually these two this like paradoxical dichotomists. Can you look yeah, let's look at that yeah. just for someone maybe yeah. who's not familiar with what the the key um rebuke so to speak yeah so uh, i mean jesus gives to the church of laodicea yeah yeah, so this is like again there's lots of debate we don't have to go into all the exegetical questions about it but um there's the seventh church and it says that there's this message that god has for the church of laodicea and he says i know your deeds this is revelation chapter 3 verse 15 that you are neither hot nor cold and he says, I wish you were either one or the other. So like he wants us either hot or, or cold. He says, so because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I am about to spit you out of my mouth. And this is the key part here. He says, you say I am rich. I have acquired wealth. This is what the New International Version. Um, you have acquired wealth and do not need a thing. So another version says, I am rich and I have uh, great richness and I don't have any need of anything. And he says, but this is, what, this is the true condition. He says, but you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. So the problem that the Laodicean church has is not that they are poor, blind, wretched, and naked. It's that they don't know it. Mm. And so... I'm very encouraged that there seems to be more and more people who are coming to understand and recognize that we actually are poor, miserable, wretched, blind, and naked. And so it's only as we acknowledge and recognize and then want to do something about it Mm -hmm. that I think God can finally get a hold of us so that we make this drastic turn this about face that he actually asks, says later on repent which is what right. repentance is is turning around and so it's only like one, one of the greatest one of the um, greatest enemies of success is success and failure is actually a very important prerequisite to success and so so long as we're like oh things are good the church is growing we're getting more money and like you know, we were, you know, in this many countries in the world and the Bible is being translated in this many languages and, oh yeah, things are good. And don't get me wrong, those things are important, but um, but we're still described in this state of being naked and not knowing it. So the sooner we can come to terms and understand that this is our condition and the sooner we can become dissatisfied with that, the sooner we can move into what God really wants to do with and for us. Thanks for listening to this episode of Adventology. 
Our goal on this podcast is for you to be ready for Jesus. And the best way to be ready for Jesus is to spend time getting to know him. Knowing Jesus is everything. And that is why we spent the time today exploring God's vision for the church with Pastor Sean Grace. But don't just take our word for it, study it out for yourself. And for a hands-on experience, I encourage you to check out our website, adventology.com, where you can find transcripts from this episode as well as all of our other previous episodes. And while you're at it, don't forget to check out Sean's podcast, Mission Lab, for a deeper dive into what he's been up to. Also, if you like this episode, share it with a friend, or better yet, leave a rating and review from wherever you downloaded this podcast from. All right, well, I enjoyed our time together today, and I look forward to seeing you back here again on our next episode when we will continue our study in Bible prophecy with an introduction to Revelation chapter 13. Maranatha.